We are extraordinarily lucky to have in the studio T.R. Reid. The census report, the US census report for 2008, indicates that there are something like 46 million uninsured people in America. 34 million of these are native-born and 2.8 million were naturalised citizens. For some reason, though, in his speech on the 10th of September, President Obama squashed that down to 30 million. T.R. Reid, who's sitting here with us, says that this is a national problem, a national scandal that really undermines the physical and fiscal health of every single American in this country. He is the author of The Healing of America, A Global Quest for Better, Cheaper and Fairer Healthcare. And the healthcare sector, you should remember, in the US economy is one-sixth of the economy. Reed is a former Washington Post correspondent who has examined the healthcare systems of higher-ranked nations to determine what works and what doesn't work. President Eisenhower was a very pragmatic commander who was willing to borrow a good policy idea, says Reed, even if it had foreign lineage. T.R. Reed, is this the problem? Is it hubris? Yeah, I think part of our problem is American exceptionalism. This is the notion that we're better than anybody else. We don't have to learn anything from the French. Come on. Uh, <clears throat> on the, so, and I think this is one reason why Americans aren't willing to look at the other countries, because the fact is the other industrialized democracies, you know, countries like us, manage to cover everybody with high-quality care and still spend half as much as we do. How do they do that? Uh, that's why I went around the world and wrote this book. And it turns out a lot of what they do, we could use. It's not un-American. It's not socialized medicine. A lot of countries cover everybody with private docs, private hospitals, and private insurance plans. So we could do it. Are Americans willing to learn lessons from other countries? Well, as you said, the interstate highway system, Dwight D. Eisenhower borrowed from the Germans. Public broadcasting, that's what we're doing now on KGNU, which I think is a great community resource, by the way. Public broadcasting, we learned from Britain. I mean, yoga, sushi, pizza, these are foreign ideas. Even American Idol was a British program that we borrowed. So, hey, if we're willing to borrow those things from other countries, let's learn something about providing health care. And you do argue in the book that what you're advocating is not pie in the sky. It can be achieved through cutting against powerful interests. But I'd immediately like to get to, to the poppycock, the claptrap, the myths that you address, the first of which is that the U.S. has the finest health care in the world. Isn't it true, though, that TRE, that it ranks in, according to the U.N., 37th, based on a broad range of measurements? Why on earth are people jumping up and down, protesting all over America to protect something that ranks 37? Yeah, I think most Americans now know we don't have the best health care in the world. Uh, we always heard that when we were growing up in America. I think the last time it was stated in the State of the Union address was 2002. Even George W. Bush wouldn't say that anymore. Um, I think Americans know. But for some Americans, we do have the best health care. If you're rich or you have really good insurance, you get the finest care in the finest hospital with no waiting. The problem with our system is we leave so many people out. The formula in all the other rich countries, it was the health minister of Sweden said this to me. She said, you Americans are so clever. Why don't you get this? It's, it's pretty simple. Health care for everybody, paid for by everybody. What could be simpler than that? And we have never figured that out. Now you say that other industrialized democracies spend a far smaller percentage of their GDP on health care. So we spend all this money in this profligate waste 
and we still don't cover everyone. Is it because of the will, the lack of will? Is it because of corruption? Is it because of vested interests? Or is it just total apathy? No, I don't think it's apathy. People really care about health care. It's not corruption. Um, the major difference between the U.S. and the other industrialized democracies is all the other countries that I went to first decided on the goal. They first decided that a rich society has an obligation to provide health care for everybody who needs it. And once you make that, it's a moral commitment. Once you make that ethical commitment to care for everybody, you can come up with a mechanism to do it. In the world's richest country, we have never decided to provide health care for everybody. And so now our debate is all hung up on the mechanism and we keep losing sight of the goal. So we're arguing about insurance company reimbursement rates and hospital profit levels instead of whether everybody should be covered. If you could just amplify, Thierry, on the full models of healthcare, there's the, the Bismarck Germany style, the Britain beverage, the Canadian plan. This doesn't really mean anything to it until they read your book and learn about your shoulder and how your shoulder was treated all around the world. Yeah, well, I went around the world trying to figure out how other countries managed to cover everybody and spend half as much as we do. But I have a bum shoulder that I heard in the U.S. Navy three decades ago, so I figured, what the heck, I took my shoulder along, and I was going to all these hospitals and doctors and tried to get it treated in every country. And as a matter of fact, uh, you know, the book has done great. Eh? It's become a bestseller, which is good news. I came away pretty optimistic on health policy terms. I know we could cover everybody at reasonable cost, because all the other countries do. And my shoulder's better. I have more movement and less pain. So what's not to like? It came out fine. Uh, a key finding of my tour was it's not all socialized medicine over there. And Americans who think as long as, as soon as you leave America, you're in the big government nanny state. No, that's wrong. A lot of countries cover everybody in the private sector. In fact, I argue in the book, several countries are less socialized than the USA. You know, in America, everybody switches to government insurance, Medicare at age 65. In Germany, Switzerland, Belgium, people stay with the private insurer cradle to grave. That's less socialized than the U.S. Yes, and, and you talk about the Clinton efforts at healthcare and how that actually affects other countries like Taiwan. It saw what had happened in the United States in the 94 era when Clinton tried to introduce the policy. What system did they go to, T.R. Reid? Yeah, I really like Taiwan. I'm pretty nice to Taiwan in my book because the Taiwanese did exactly what I did. You know, Taiwan is one of these East Asian tigers. Uh, in 1980, it was the 100th richest country in the world, and by 1995, it was the 15th richest country in the world. They just got rich overnight. And they said, hey, we need a rich country's healthcare system. So they did what I did. They went around the world and looked at all the models to see what works. In the end, they chose the Canadian model. Now, what the Canadian model is kind of a blend. It's private doctors and private hospitals, private labs, private drug companies, but a public payment system. The payment system is government. And that's what Taiwan set up. And... Uh, you know, it's a rich country, and they have this brand-new health system. Almost all the hospitals were built in the last 10 years. It's really, they're doing spectacularly well. They have better health statistics than the United States. And my theory is, hey, if Taiwan can do it, certainly the United States of America can do it. But then people would argue Taiwan is a very low-population country, so it's much easier with a smaller number of people, and a lot of people say with 300 million people here, it's just not going to work. Is that a valid argument? No, I don't buy that at all. Uh, it, Taiwan is uh, 33 million people, but it's 33 million people in the size of Colorado. We have 5 million here. No, it's a very densely populated country. 
Uh, I don't think po population size makes a difference. No, it's political will. If a country decides, doggone it, we think everybody in our country who gets sick can, should have access to care, well, then you can get there. And we've just never made that decision. And I think that's the biggest finding. You know, I thought my job in, in this book was mechanical, explain how the other countries do it. And I think I got that part. But it turns out an equally important question is why. Why does a country decide to provide health care for everybody who needs it? You think about that one for a couple of minutes, and it leads to a third question. Why doesn't the world's richest country provide health care for everybody who needs it? One of the other hoary old cliches is that outside the United States, care is rationed through limited choices or long lines. And you point out the true situation in Canada. If your hip replacement is not absolutely critical, you might not be able to get it done next week. Yeah, well, I think um, on the subject of waiting lines, uh, a lot of countries, you know, th these are all standardized measures. The Commonwealth Fund in New York does these tests every year. On issues like waiting time for an appointment, waiting time for to see a specialist, waiting time for elective surgery, Germany, France, Japan, Switzerland, they all do better than the United States. Britain is about the same. Canada is the one. I'm pretty tough on Canada in my book because Canada... Look, if you have an acute problem in Canada, they treat it right away for free. But if all you have is your knee hurts or your hip hurts, or in my case, your shoulder hurts, they keep you waiting. Uh, I went to a wonderful doctor in Canada, great doc, and I said, look, my shoulder is really stiff. It hurts. What can I do? He said, I'll send you an orthopedic specialist. That's what you need. How long will it take? Ten months. That's standard in Canada. And uh, it wouldn't, you know, if you had an acute problem, they treat you. Nobody dies in Canada for failure to see a doctor, which does happen in our country. And I was talking to a guy in the Canadian Health Ministry, and he says, you know, we're laid back Canadians. We don't go around chanting we're number one like some countries I know, you know. And, uh, but he says, but there are two areas where we're superior to your states, hockey and health care. And they all feel that in Canada. They're very proud of the fact that they cover everybody and they know that we don't. So I said to him, well, what are you so proud of? I mean, I got a, my shoulder hurts. It would take me 10 months to see a doctor in your country. And here's what he said. He said, yeah, so here's what you have to understand about can Canadians. Canadians don't mind waiting that much as long as the rich Canadian and the poor Canadian have to wait about the same amount of time. Now, right there in that statement is a national ethic of health care. And it's not our ethic. We kind of take it for granted that rich people get faster care and better care than poor people in America. In the rest of the world, that's considered immoral. But you're also talking about a different patient ethic, aren't you? In Britain, you're brought up that unless you have an axe in your head, you don't go to the doctor. And if you then go to the doctor, it's so that it'll take the axe out and stitch it up. But here, you have the culture of advertising, running along to doctors. You've got to talk to your doctor before you take an aspirin. You've got to take two aspirins a day. It's like your doctor is another big brother watching over your shoulder. You talk about the different attitudes beyond just Canada. You had some very funny, uh, funny. well, I don't think most Americans would find it funny, but enlightening experience in Nepal and in India about your shoulder. Do explain, because one of them was quite effective. Yeah, well, uh, one of the models I looked at in looking at the different models of healthcare was the model in the developing world. This is the most common model because there are about 150 of the world's 200 nations have no healthcare system at all. There's no money for it. The model there is called the out-of-pocket model, and the fact is if your child is sick and you have some money in your pocket to pay a doctor, she gets treated. 
If you don't have any money, and most people don't, your child stays sick or dies. It's brutal, it's simple, and it's the fact. Um, <clears throat> I went to, uh, to this clinic in Nepal, a uh, poor country, and you know, up in northern Nepal by Everest, there are no roads. You walk everywhere. I walked maybe an hour and a half up a really steep trail to get to this clinic on top of a hill. Squat little stucco building, plainest thing you've ever seen, except all four walls were a different color. And I'm in there talking to the doctor, and I said, how do your patients pay you? He said, well, a few of them have money. We don't really get that much money. He says, I eat a lot of potatoes because people grow potatoes, and they bring in potatoes to pay him. Uh, some people weave him a rug. One guy built a chair for his office and carried it up on his back to pay for it. And he said, you know, and a lot of people say they have some paint at home, and they'll paint my clinic, and they all have a different color. So that's why you get a clinic like that. That's the out-of-pocket model, and um, part of what I did in this book was I took my sore shoulder to India, which is an out-of-pocket, you know, developing nation, and I got Ayurvedic treatment. This is, uh, actually, you can get Ayurvedic treatment in Boulder. This is a traditional Indian medicine, and basically what happens in Ayurveda is they give you a massage. And when I was in India, we were making a film about Ayurveda for PBS Frontline, and for five weeks, I would every day I would lie on this dark table. It has to be neem wood. No other wood would work. On this neem wood table, and six guys massaged me with warm oil three times a day. I mean, it was sweet. It was really great. And uh, that was to fix my shoulder. And, and that movie then ran. It still shows up, you know, like at 2.30 a.m. on some PBS station. Uh, and after that movie was on tv people came up to me on the street and they'd say one of two things either how's your shoulder or i saw you naked because i had a lot of nude scenes when i was being massaged in this film i'm glad you brought up the frontline issue because that led to a confrontation with a lobbyist didn't it you actually fell out with frontline what happened there well after we made the film about india then we made a film that is kind of a shorter introduction to my book that's called sick around the world and i went to five countries to see how they do healthcare, and looked at each of the models that we've been discussing and that I talk about in the book. And then, and that was quite a successful movie. So then we decided to make a film called Sick Around America, looking at American healthcare. And what happens you, to, to make a documentary film, you shoot about 60 hours of tape, and then they edit it down to the one-hour film. So I did all the shooting for months. I worked really hard on this film. And then the producers went back to Boston to make the movie, after about six weeks, they showed me the movie, and I thought it was wrong. It ends up with the lobbyist for America's health insurance Karen. industry, Karen Ignani, very smooth operator. She says, you know, the solution is to mandate that everybody buy our product for profit private insurance because that's what they do in other countries. No, that's not what they do in other countries. No other country would allow for-profit private insurance on the American model because it's terrible insurance. So that's the rub, isn't it? That There's was the, the rub. Point. And I said to Frontline, I think this is wrong. I just think it's wrong as a matter of policy. They didn't want to change their movie. So I dropped out of that film. I wasn't in that film. And I had second thoughts, and then I had third thoughts, and then I had fourth thoughts. And my wife kept saying to me, isn't the film wrong? And I said, yeah, it's wrong. And she said, well, if you're doing the right thing, what's what's so bad about it? You know, and I think that was exactly or it's very good advice. As it turned out, you know, that film, it was badly criticized and it contradicts my own book. So I'm very happy I wasn't in that movie. It turned out to be a good thing. America Healthcare is a $2.4 trillion industry. There are hundreds of companies 
that make more than a billion dollars a year on health care. So obviously they have an interest in the current system. They're doing fine in it. I think what I found in all the other countries, in my book, I talk about how all the other countries got to universal health care. Switzerland's a good example because Switzerland is a you know, free market democracy like the U.S., huge drug companies, huge insurance companies, and they allow corporate contributions to politicians. And the leaders in Switzerland said, wait a minute, a rich country has an obligation to take care of everybody when they're sick. And Switzerland passed a law that took the profit out of health insurance, and now everybody's covered. You need a leader. That's what we see in my book. In all these countries, a leader emerged who appealed to people's better nature. And also that you've got to have the stomach for the fight, haven't you? I mean, Switzerland engaged in an almighty fight. I mean, Against this the insurance companies exactly. and drug companies, yeah. And, of course, the famous Nye Bevan was this cantankerous labor health minister in Britain who brought in the NHS. Another piece of balderdash and poppycock is this idea that foreign systems, TRE, are inefficient, that they're bloated bureaucracies that, that are absolutely antithetical to the U.S. system of free enterprise. Yeah, that's wrong, too. Um, Americans tend to think that for-profit, competitive, free enterprise business is the best way to deliver any good or service. It just turns out not to be true in healthcare. As a matter of fact, the private insurance companies in America are the most wasteful, least efficient payers of healthcare in the entire world. Our uh, for-profit insurance companies, you know, run by a bunch of Stanford and Harvard MBAs who make 20 million a year, they have administrative costs of about 20 to 25%. They add 20% to every bill they pay. Uh, that's not efficient. In France, for example, you think of France as a model of management efficiency. In France, the private insurance companies have administrative costs of 4%. Germany, 5%. Japan, about 5.5%. No country wastes as much money on health insurance as we do. And the reason is, in the other countries, if they have private insurance plans, they regulate them. Get this. In all the other countries, the insurers have to cover everybody. They have to pay every claim. They usually have to pay the claim within a week or two. In Switzerland, if they don't pay your health insurance claim in five days, next month's premium is free. That's better health insurance than anybody in America has. And um, the government controls their administrative costs. There are stiff regulations. Now, our insurance companies are so afraid of this public option. You know, They're so worried that they couldn't compete with government bureaucrats that they are now offering to accept some regulations that they've always fought before in the current bill. But they still haven't agreed to pay every claim like they do in every other country. They still haven't agreed to any time limit. They want to wait three months before they pay you. And they absolutely refuse any limit on their administrative costs, their paperwork costs. And that's, a f according to Paul Krugman, you know, the Nobel laureate economist, that's the major reason we spend twice as much as anybody else is the inefficiency of our insurance system. And what I found around the world is health insurance doesn't have to be wasteful or cruel. They can cover everybody and pay every claim and do fine and spend vastly less than our companies do. And what about the death panels we hear so much about? We know perfectly well what we never hear from the anti-reform side is that the point you discuss is these rescission executives, the people who are employed by insurance companies to sit and go over paperwork and discuss how to get out of playing claims. That is, you know, that is a form of death panel because if they're not going to pay your insurance, 
you're not going to be treated and you could possibly die. How did this whole death panel thing arise and, and what do you make of all this? Uh, I, I, it's not clear to me. Sarah Palin invented the term death panels. It's definitely not true, but she is not willing to admit that. Um, you know, one of the arguments is, <clears throat> well, you know, Reed goes around saying the other countries cover everybody and spend less. And then people say, yeah, the way they do that is they pull the plug on grandma. This is just not true. It's but they just pull the true. plug here. Yeah, the insurance companies do do that to people. But old people in America have Medicare. So Medicare is a good system. It's run by the government and people are pretty satisfied. I just would like to talk about the treatment of the aged in other countries. You know, when you compare healthcare systems, the economists have a standard measure, healthy life expectancy at age 60. That matters to some of us. When you turn 60, how long can you expect to live before you get the standard uh, diseases of aging, rheumatoid arthritis or Alzheimer's? Um, as it turns out, all the other rich countries have a higher, a longer healthy life expectancy at age 60 than we do. They keep their seniors alive and healthy longer than the U.S., so obviously they're not pulling the plug on grandma. I mean, these are clear statistics. So that, that's a baloney argument. It was, I think, even most of the critics of the Obama plan have given up on that argument because it's just not true. And another cliche, of course, is that cost controls stifle innovation. And you point out that knee replacements come from France, that the brain stimulus techniques we use come from Canada. Viagra, that is always on our television, we never stop hearing so much about, is from Britain, Switzerland, Japanese labs. And you point out, in fact, this is not true, that cost efficiency drives innovation. Is that correct? Yeah, cost controls in other countries drive innovation. Our drug companies particularly argue well, gee, America, you know, we pay five times as much as Brits do for the same pill made in the same factory. And the drug companies say, well, you have to pay more because we need that to pay for our R&D. Uh, this turns out to be wrong. It's definitely true the U.S. has great health medical research. We're absolutely groundbreaking in this area. But other countries do, too, with much lower cost structures. As you said, a lot of really important um, medical breakthroughs come from other countries that don't feel the need to spend as much. Um, and cost controls drive innovation. For example, you know, I had a, I fell when I was skiing and I had to go get an MRI on my neck. Cost $1,434. Exactly the same procedure in Japan costs $105. Uh, they've done the same diagnostic technique for one-fifteenth the American price. How do you do that? I explain this in my book. But basically, the government imposed strict cost controls from the top, and their researchers had to figure out ways to do the same thing much cheaper. So uh, cost controls drive innovation, and this argument that we've got to pay for the, through the nose to get good medical research is just wrong. Countries that have single payer have cheaper health care, much easier administrative problems, and it's fairer because everybody's in the same plan. But it doesn't have to be single-payer. That's important. Japan has 3,000 payers, cover everybody. Germany has 220. Switzerland has 70. doesn't have to be single-payer. I think the point of the public option in the original Obama plan was to provide some competition for our insurance companies and therefore force them to cut their costs and treat people more fairly. I haven't seen a public option in any other country that has insurance, and the reason is in the other countries they regulate them. In the other countries, the argument is, hey, you want to be in the business of selling health insurance, you got to follow some rules. And the rules are designed to provide for people's health care. 
No other rich country allows insurance companies to make a profit on basic coverage because if an insurance company's main goal is to pay a profit to its investors, well, then guess what they do? They don't cover anybody with the pre-existing condition. I mean, that guy might actually make a claim. They hire armies of underwriters to deny claims, and I'll bet you a few people listening to this show have had a claim denied by American insurance companies. In other countries where profit is not an issue, their only mission is to pay people's health care. They cover everybody, and they pay every claim, and they pay them pretty fast. Switzerland's five days, I understand. Yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, plus, uh, this, the, um, these American notions of uh, in-network pre-authorization, they don't exist in other countries. In, in France, for example, you can go to any doctor, any hospital, any chiropractor, any traditional healer in all of the European Union, and insurance has to pay the bill. No, no question asked. So they have broader choice, and it doesn't have to be single payer as long as this, there are regulations that force the insurance companies to take care of people. When uh, Lyndon Johnson decided to provide health care, health and government health insurance for every senior, he imported the model and the name Medicare from Canada. That's a government-run single-payer system. Uh, the difference is Australia, Taiwan, South Korea have that same system. The difference is in Australia and Canada, everybody's covered. In the U.S., we restrict it to seniors and people mm -hmm. with a disability. But, uh, yeah, single-payer definitely works. Um, people on Medicare express much higher levels of satisfaction than people who have private insurance. It would work. Medicare for all would definitely work in our country. I don't know that we're ever going to get there. There are just ideological barriers to that. But the point of my book is, if we don't get there, that's fine, because multi-payer systems with private insurance can work. They work in other countries. They could work here if we were willing to regulate those companies. Politically, talk a little bit about Max Borkus. And your yeah, opinion. I like Max. I've known Max Baucus a long time. I first covered him when he was a freshman uh, senator. I was covering the Senate for the Washington Post. Um, he's really into bipartisan. He cares as much about the process as he does about the result, and he wants to see a bipartisan uh, process. And that's why he's come up with a bill that I consider to be pretty watered down. On the other hand, the guy's been a senator for 30 years. He knows what can pass in Washington, and maybe maybe he's convinced that uh, his bill is the only thing that could come out of Washington. I'm pretty pessimistic about health care reform this year. I'm just, I just don't think Washington is going to give us much. They'll pass something, Claudia, and the Democrats will declare victory. That's clear. But I don't think we're going to get to the goal, which is universal coverage at a reasonable cost, at least not this year. And if you're one of the 40 million Americans who don't have insurance, then you live in Angola or Burundi or Afghanistan. If you can come up with the money to pay a doctor, fine, you get treated. Or maybe you can line up at the charity hospital if you're in a big city. That's, that's just like all over the, the developing world. There is an argument that we're over-medicated. I mean, one of the striking things is... Uh, the drug companies invent a pill, and then they have to invent a disease that it will cure, you know. I mean, so Viagra treats a problem called impotence, but, you know, they couldn't sell a pill to anybody because nobody wanted to admit it he was impotent, so they came up with erectile dysfunction. It's just kind of classic the way they do that. But um, 
Actually, some other countries are more medicated than we are. The Japanese take about twice as much uh, drugs as we do, and I'll tell you why. In Traditionally, in Confucian nations, uh, the doctor couldn't get paid for treatment. He made his money by selling medications. And to this day, in Japan and China, the doctor not only prescribes the pills, but then you go down to his, his lobby and he sells the same pill. And guess what? They prescribe a heck of a lot more pills than Americans do. I was really disappointed with our debate this summer, which came down to, hey, I got good insurance, so the heck with you. And to me, that is not an American solution. That's an un-American approach to say, I don't care about my neighbor. I don't care if people in my community are dying of treatable diseases. And I blame the president for that. The president constantly said, hey, don't worry. If you're doing okay, we're not going to change anything. And his pollsters told him to say this. If you have good health insurance, don't worry, I'll leave you alone. Uh, I don't think that was the right appeal. The appeal should be we're all in this together, we're all Americans, and let's see that everybody gets treated. And frankly, if you did get everybody in the system, we'd save money. I know that because all the other countries do. So what would you say to the too many people who have no, no insurance? What should they do? Oh, there's not much they can do. They should try to stay healthy, but, you know, you can't stop yourself from being hit by a truck or getting cancer. What can you do? Uh, they should uh, appeal to their neighbors, and they should appeal to their members of Congress and say this is a national disgrace. No other rich country would let this happen. Why do we? If you've enjoyed this interview, do kindly consider making even a small donation at www.kgnu.org. Without them, the interview would not be possible. Thank you.